Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Good morning. Welcome to New Life. We're glad you're here. I'm Pastor Chris, the lead pastor of this church, and our mission is to share, grow, and live the new life of Jesus Christ with the world one person at a time. If you're here for the first time, we're so glad you came. And we're actually coming to the very end of a series called Connect. And it's been about prayer. We've had a 31-day prayer emphasis. I guess this is the 29th, so 29 days so far. And what that means is uh, during this month of January, we have been every day focusing uh, on God's Word and focusing in some prompts that are in this book called Connect. Uh, and uh, today, today, actually, there's a whole bunch of stuff in here about this particular message that I'm going to preach. And then tomorrow, the 30th, is going to be sort of the conclusion of this month of prayer because we're going to gather tomorrow morning as we have been, Monday through Saturday at 6.30 here in the Worship Center for prayer. Then tomorrow night at 7, we're going to have a Believe gathering that's also going to focus on prayer. But I have some good news for those of you who have said, this was so good, we should keep doing it. We are going to keep doing it. So Tuesdays and Saturdays, we're going to be meeting um, here at 6.30 in the morning, Tuesdays and Saturdays, starting the 31st, which is this Tuesday, and then Saturday the 4th, um, so Tuesday and Saturday, every week, uh, 6.30 to 7.30. Also, if you um, have the New Life app, on your phone, you will be able to, starting tomorrow, to download February's daily prayer prompts and scripture. If you don't have the New Life app, you can go to prayer.newlife.org, correct? New Life XN, sorry. Prayer.newlifexn.org, and you'll be able to get the daily prayer prompts for February. Obviously, um, that will start on Wednesday. If you don't have either a computer or a, a, a phone, I mean, what century are you living in? Okay, I'm just kidding. Um, you could call us up and we'll print it out for you. Uh, we still actually have, in fact, I'll probably use the printed copy because my eyes are better on printed copies. But anyway, we will have a printed copy for you because we want to continue to emphasize the importance of prayer. During this five-week series, we've emphasized the Lord's Prayer. We looked at every part of it, talking first about what it means to have God as our Father. We've talked about how important it is for us to pray for God's kingdom to come here on earth as it already is in heaven. We've talked about God supplying our daily needs. We've talked about last week, very powerful message Pastor Brad preached about forgiveness and God's forgiveness of us, meaning that we are called to forgive others. And then today, we're gonna conclude this series by talking about avoiding and overcoming evil. Now, when we talk about avoiding and overcoming evil in the 21st century, in 2017 in particular, we need to um, look at three particular potential challenges to that. And if you like to take notes, we actually, everybody has this in your connection. This thing here, most people would call a bulletin or a program. Inside, there's a, an outline in the first three blanks actually talk about the three challenges that we face, and that is that many in our culture deny the existence of evil. Many also deny the existence of the devil, and many in the church don't want to live holy lives. We just want to practice sin management. So let me say a little bit more about those first two. Because many in our culture accept the, the, the humanistic idea um, that human beings are the center of the world. In fact, really, that sort of started happening in the 1600s. There's going to be a, a little graphic up there that says, ever since the Enlightenment began in the mid-1600s, human beings have emphasized a more and more anthropocentric worldview. That's a fancy way of saying a worldview with humanity at the center. Since the 1600s, that's been happening more and more and more and more. And, and so God gets pushed in the background. Before that, 
largely in the Western world at least, uh, there was a theocentric worldview. That means God in the center or a Christocentric, Jesus Christ was in the center. But since the 1600s, it's been the case that there's a more and more anthropocentric worldview with human beings at the center. And when human beings are at the center, that means that human beings are the um, end-all, be-all, end-all when it comes to truth. So whatever you think is true. Uh, whatever I think is true. Therefore, there's no absolute truth. And when there's no absolute truth, there's no way for us to all agree what is right and what is wrong. And so that's a big challenge whenever we live in this modern world or postmodern world, they're calling it now. We live in this world where many people, actually 70% of Americans, follow this humanistic worldview. Now, we live in Saxonburg or Sarver or Butler or Valencia or any of the 40-some zip codes from which people come to new life. And because of that, we may actually hold more to a biblical worldview or a, a, a Christocentric or a theocentric worldview than they do in the with it places around the, the United States. But this is the truth. If you have gone to school or your children have gone to school in the last 30 years, public school, here even in western Pennsylvania, the humanistic worldview is what has been taught and prevailed. So that's why it's difficult for me to talk about evil. Whenever we look around and see all the inhumanity and all the injustice and we see all of the negative things that are going on in our world, it, it, we can't really point to it as being evil that's behind it because the humanistic worldview doesn't have either a God or a devil because there is no being beyond us. And so what happens when we look at that, we say, well, it must be bad parenting. It must be mental illness. It must be, uh, it must be some radical religious group. It must be some bad political view or some other cause. Because what we can't say when we see all the evil going on around us is that it's actually the result of human rebellion. Because a good God created everything perfect and we rebelled against his good intentions for us. That's called sin. And because of sin, there is evil in the world. And the evil one, the devil, is behind that because he's the one that tempted the first human beings to go away from the good, perfect world that God created and uh, follow their own way and their own will. So uh, please understand, I want you to understand, I am one of those old-fashioned people who believe that God is in the center of everything, who believe in the biblical worldview. I don't check my brain at my seat every week when I stand up here, but what I've done is for about 50 years now, I have been examining what I read in books and what I you know, was taught by teachers at school and, and what I've heard in church. And, and what I've done is I cannot understand, I can't believe actually, I can't see any evidence that there has been this evolution of reason that we're getting to be better and better and better. As I look around in the world, I can't see any evidence for this humanistic idea that all we really need to do is get better education and then we'll be better. All we really need to do is think differently and then you know, everything will be good. I, I can't see that. What I can see a lot of is the reality that there are people who practice good and people who practice evil, and, and a lot of that has to do with how they're rooted in, in, in their lives. And so as I look out, and, I, and here's the thing. We all have a worldview. We all have a worldview. You either have a humanistic worldview or you have a, a biblical worldview or you might have a, a you know, Buddhist worldview. You might have whatever your worldview. Um, it's going to determine how you're going to interpret what happens around us. And so as we look at the world today and we look at the news or watch it on our phones or whatever we do, read it in the papers if you still have a paper, whenever you read all of these things that happen that aren't good, 
You actually can't even say they aren't good if you have a humanistic worldview because there is no good or bad. There's no God, no devil, none of that kind of stuff. And so you're sort of at a loss. You just sort of got to throw your hands up in the air. But if you have a biblical worldview, then you look at things and you say, the, the things that are good happen because there is a good God who has redeemed us from the sin by the blood of Jesus Christ. Redeemed means paid, us, paid the cost of our sin, our, 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 the penalty that we owed to God, the good and just and loving God, by dying on the cross because he was perfect and he was actually God. So when you believe that, then you understand that the goodness in you is coming from him. And when you look around and you see the bad stuff, you say, well, that's the, that's the condition we're in. A fallen world is going to produce sin and evil and death. So as we think about these things, um, we have to remember that how we view the world is going to determine how we think and how we act. And my, my, my prayer today, my, my urging today is that you will think. <laughs> I mean, really, that's really what I'm asking you to do. Think about it. Think about it as you look at the world. Is the humanistic worldview the preferable worldview? Is it the correct worldview? Or, or is the biblical one? And then the third thing that I talked about, many in our church don't really want to live holy lives. We want to practice sin management. Well, that contributes to confusion. Because when people in either the humanistic or anthropocentric worldview or the theocentric, you know, biblical worldview, look at people who say they're following Jesus Christ. And they don't see people eagerly following Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit so that they can experience the joy that that brings in their lives. When, when they don't see a person being different six, from today from when they were six months ago or six years ago, when they see people saying, well, I want to go to heaven when I die, but I really don't want to live like Jesus today, when they see people like that, it's very confusing. It's very confusing to people, whether you're a humanist or whether you're you know, a, a person who believes in God, it's confusing to see that. What I'm saying is, if you're here a couple weeks ago, remember I said a lot of people are stalking Jesus but not really following Jesus. We want, we want to be saved from the fires of hell, but we really don't want to live in the power of the Spirit today. And we don't want to be transformed from the inside out so that our lives will be radically different than the lives of those around us. We don't really want to stand out that way. And so when that's going on, it confuses people. Now, I understand that what I said so far is pretty hard. Um, it really is, and I, I know that. You know? But the thing is, all of us at some point have to stop drinking milk and start eating solid food. And so I'm giving you a little solid food here this morning when it comes to um, Jesus. And if you haven't trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord yet, you're here this morning, you're just sort of checking things out. If you're exploring what it means to believe Jesus died to save you from sin and death, rose again to be your Lord, your owner, here's what I'm talking about. It's the difference between a commitment to follow Jesus and a casual relationship with Jesus. As we turn to the Lord's Prayer again, as we turn this morning, we're going to turn also to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 12, and we look at what it means to overcome evil that exists in our world and the evil one behind it, um, you're going to understand, we always come from a biblical worldview. Anybody who's preaching on this stage will always be coming from a biblical worldview, but we do understand the other ones that are out there. And so this morning, let's look at our take-home point. For those of you who are new, the take-home point is the one point that we seek to make, take it home with us, pray about it, reflect on it, and then live it out in the power of the Holy Spirit. So here it is. It says, God desires our focus to be on his glory so that we will win our spiritual battles each day. God is the only being in the universe that exudes glory. Uh, uh, glory, the way we're using that word right now in, in the Bible, refers to God's essence. His very being. 
And we see it often in the Old Testament. In fact, I was reading from the book of Exodus this morning, and it says that God's glory was shown in this cloud as, as the people of Israel were going along. And God showed himself in glory to people many times in the Old Testament, sometimes in the New Testament, but usually God's glory is hidden. We see glimpses of it maybe in a, in a natural occurrence like a thunderstorm or, or maybe a rainbow. We certainly see glimpses of it when we see a healing miracle, when somebody who couldn't walk can walk, when somebody who couldn't see can now see. We see it when, when demons are cast out of people. Those are glimpses of God's glory. And what, what we really need to understand today from the take-home point is if we focus on God's glory, his essence, his supernatural power, his being, then what will happen is because we're living in the shadow of that, we will be able to live in victory when we face spiritual battles. So before we get to today's two scriptures that we're going to focus in on um, from the Lord's Prayer and also from Ephesians 6, I want to read one verse from the book of James. James had a very powerful thing, powerful thing to say about our relationship to God and then how we will relate to the devil as a result of that relationship. He says this, So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I love that verse because it says, first of all, that we come to God who is the only being in the universe who deserves to be worshipped, and we humble ourselves. We come with a position that he's the one who has the glory, and we don't. And so we worship him and we praise him. And when we do that and we draw near to him, uh, what will happen is as we resist the devil, and that's what we're going to talk about today, overcoming evil, right? Then he runs away. And that's what will happen. When we reside in the glory of God, in the shadow of his power, and, and receive his spirit, we can live in victory every single day. So let's uh, turn to Matthew 6, 9 to 15. That's the verses we've been looking at these past four weeks now. It's called the Lord's Prayer by most people. And here's what Jesus told us about prayer. He said, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation but rescue us from the evil one. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your, your Father will not forgive your sins. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that Jesus told us how to pray and gave us broad areas of what to pray. And so we, we thank you that we can call you Father such an intimate word, and we know that you're perfect. You're not like any human father. You're, you're, you're so far beyond us, and yet you want us in a relationship as your children. And so we thank you for that today, God. And as we come and we focus in, hone in on this idea of temptation and overcoming it and overcoming the evil one, we pray for your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts this morning, to our spirits that we might, and also to our minds, God, so that we might understand more of what it means to live in the victory you call us to, to love you more, to, to know you better, and to serve you more faithfully. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So notice what Jesus said about evil and the evil one. He said, and don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. So we're, we're told that we have to call on God to empower us to overcome temptation. The thing we need to understand is temptation is not sin. It isn't a sin to be tempted. In fact, temptation is an encouragement to sin. 
And we've all experienced it. I want to tell you what happened one time when I was six or seven years old. I was uh, in Punxsutawney, PA at the McCrory's store. And I was with my little brother, Ken, who had to be four or five at the time. And my mother was next door in the Murphy's, which tells you how long ago I was a little kid, right? Anyway, we were in the McCrory's and there was this, oh man, there was this area in McCrory's and it was my favorite place because it was the penny candy. And there was, you know, little pieces of chocolate and lollipops and gumdrops and gum, everything, you know. And, and I didn't have any money that day. And, and so you might guess what the temptation was because there's all this candy and I have no money. So I decided, I said, my brother Ken, I said, watch this. So I, I reach out my hand and just as I'm reaching out my hand, I feel this pair of eyes in the back of my head. And I turn around and there's this store clerk and she's standing there like this. And so I ran out of the store, and Ken ran out with me, and that lady saved me from a life of crime. Well, maybe not, but she certainly saved me from sinning, right? She certainly saved me from sinning in the moment by stealing that candy. You see, the temptation was so strong. And we've all, we've all experienced it, haven't we? Maybe, maybe not that, but something else. We want to do something. We know it's wrong, and we're drawn to it. And the reality is, when I was ready to do that, there was this exciting, exhilarating feeling because I was going to get some free candy, and I was going to share it with my brother, and we ate it. It would have felt really good to eat it, right? And then it would have felt sort of bad because I, I knew it was wrong. And you see, the humanistic worldview has no frame of reference for explaining what I just told you about. Because if there's no good or evil, if there's no right or wrong, then why shouldn't I just steal the candy? And you say, well, there's laws. Yeah, there are laws. Where do those laws come from, by the way? You know, human beings didn't agree on those laws. Those laws were handed down by God, and they were passed along by people up until the age in which people forgot about God. But really, it makes no sense to follow laws if there's no enforcer. And if there's no blessing for goodness, and if there's no punishment for evil, right? I mean, really. I understand we have to have a society, so we need the rules. But, but the bottom line is, a humanist looking at what I did can't tell me whether running out of there and not stealing the candy was good or bad. It can't tell me if it was right or wrong. But I knew it was wrong. If I would have stolen that candy, it would have been wrong. And the thing is, you know what? Nobody had to teach me to steal. My parents didn't show me how to steal. I never saw my parents steal a thing. I didn't even have friends who stole stuff at that time. You know, I lived in Gypsy, Pennsylvania. Man, I, I say Gypsy's a place where I grew up where there was no place you could go where you shouldn't be. I, I mean, it was that kind of is so small. And all your parents, like I say, all your parents, I had way more than two parents. Every place I went, I had another mom and dad. You know, like if so many times I'd be doing something, somebody would go, Chris Marshall, does your mother know you're doing that? No. Well, then stop it. You know, I mean, and, and if you didn't stop it, they'd pull you by the ear, they'd make you stop it. You know, so the bottom line is I knew right from wrong. And yet I was so, so, so wanting to do the wrong. And, you know, if you have a life that doesn't have meaning and purpose, that kind of stuff feels good. You know, the, the bottom line is sin feels good until it doesn't. Right. And actually following Jesus is boring until it isn't. Until we really get an understanding of why we were created and the purpose for which God created us, then, then all of this stuff, I mean, the, probably the most exciting thing some people get in life is to, to succumb to temptation. And some of you are sitting there still going, Chris, I mean, really, piece of penny candy? You, you, you think it's a big deal? No, it wasn't a big deal. Whether If I stole a piece of penny candy, I mean, it wasn't going to break McCrory's, right? But the bottom line is we all know people who tell this story. I had this temptation to do this little thing, and I did it. 
And then I did this bigger thing, temptation to do the, and I did it. And then I did, had a temptation to do the bigger thing, and I did it. And the next thing I knew, I didn't even have to think about it anymore. I was just doing that. And we end up in a place that's very dark and very bad, and our lives can be ruined because of a little temptation and a bigger temptation and a bigger temptation. And pretty soon, succumbing to temptation becomes the way of life that we live. And here's the thing that I want us all to understand. So many times when we talk about temptation, people just assume we're going to succumb to temptation. The Bible doesn't assume that at all. Jesus didn't assume that. Jesus assumed we would be tempted. And he said we need to cry out to God to keep us from temptation and to deliver us from the evil one. That's what he said. Because when we do, we will prevail. That's the idea. The idea isn't that Jesus tells us to pray, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from the evil one because we're just going to sin anyway and have to get on to that thing about forgive us, God, as we forgive those who sin against us. So, so the reality of all of our lives is that Jesus understood our lives and he understood what we needed in order to become victorious in our lives. And the key is that we need him in our lives to be victorious in our lives. Now, the bottom line is, if you're living your life in this way and you say, well, I really don't want to be holy. I don't want to be like God. I don't want to be godly. I, I, I just want to go to heaven when I die. Then you really need to pray. And I really need, if that's our attitude, we really need to pray to God to lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil, because that's dangerous ground. When people play with fire, they end up getting burned. Did you ever notice that? When you play around with fire long enough, you get burned. And here's what happens. When it comes to temptation, we see something like that candy and we say, I want it. That's the, that's the first step. Temptation is, I want it, right? And then the next step of temptation is, I deserve it. You know, I deserve that piece of candy after all. I mean, it's like, oh, there's thousands of pieces of candy, you know, and nobody's going to miss one little piece of candy. Malted milk ball, by the way, is what it was because that's my favorite candy. You know, nobody's going to miss that stinking little malted milk ball, right? I deserve it. And heck, I was going to share it with my brother. I was going to take two. And then the third thing is, I can handle it. I mean, I'm not going to steal again. It's not like I'm going to steal a car. You know what? Craig Rochelle in his book Fight says that that exact line of thinking is what ruined the life of Samson, the great judge of Israel, you know, the, the strong man. What, what happened in Samson's life was he went over to the Philistines, which he was supposed to be the judge who would defeat the Philistines, and he went over and he, it was his problem was girls, okay? And he would see these Philistine girls and he'd go, I want that. And, and, and then he would say, you know, I deserve it because I'm fighting against the Philistines, and so I deserve that girl, and, and, and you know what? I can handle it. I'm the strongest man in Israel. I can handle it. And the truth of the matter is, as soon as Samson saw that girl, he should have said, I don't want anything to do with that. I want God in my life. And then whenever he started to think, well, I deserve it, he should have thought, well, I know what I deserve. I deserve the punishment of God. That's what I deserve. I mean, that's what I deserve. I deserve to burn in hell forever. I don't know about you. Well, actually, I do. So do you. But anyway, so we all do. And what can we handle? I don't know what you can handle, but I know I can't handle much outside of the power of God in my life. And if you're thinking that your pastor knows an awful lot about temptation, that's true. I do. Because I'm a human being. And I'm tempted hundreds of times a day, just like you. But here's the thing. Jesus was tempted hundreds of times a day too. And the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, Jesus was tempted in every way that we're tempted. But the only difference between Jesus and us is he never sinned. You see, that is the key. We don't have to sin when we're tempted. 
And Jesus didn't sin when he was tempted because he always relied on the power of God. So the difference is, or the key I should say, is to align our wills with God's will so we won't yield to the temptation and be delivered, and we will be delivered from the evil one. The next time you experience temptation or I experience temptation, we need to turn to God right away and say, I don't want that, God, I want you. I know I don't deserve it. I mean, it doesn't matter what my excuse is. I don't deserve it, and, and I, I can't handle this, God. I need your help. And so let's look quickly at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 12, to see what the Apostle Paul said about being prepared to overcome evil in our lives. He said this, a final word. The reason it says a final word is because it's the end of the book. He says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against the strat- all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So what is Paul's first instruction? Focus on God. We said, you know, in our take-home point is that we need to focus on God's glory because when we focus on God's glory, we'll be able to overcome the battles, the spiritual wars that we face, right? And so what Paul is saying is when you think about fighting the devil, don't think about that first. Think about God. He has what? Mighty power. Focus on the mighty power of God. Uh, One of the things that, and I already said this, but I want to emphasize it again. I, I hear Christians all the time saying, well, you know, Pastor, I just can't. I, I'm going to just fail. I'm going to. No. That you're not just going to. You just do because you don't let the power of the mighty God into your life. Because, and that's the same way with me. When I fail, I, I, can, I can have this attitude. I'm the victim. You know, I, I, my, like my hand wouldn't stop. I had to take that candy. My thoughts wouldn't stop. I had to go there. My, my actions wouldn't stop. I just had to do it. No, you, we don't have to do it. At any given time, all we have to do is humble ourselves, right? It says that. Humble ourselves and lean into God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from us. We're winners. We're not losers. And that's the thing we have to understand. We are winners. We are not losers. And the devil is going to try to always defeat us with deception. That's what the devil does. And, and so I think the two biggest deceptions, that the uh, strategies, I should say, in our, our day are to convince us he doesn't exist and deceive us with half-truths so we'll fall into his snares. You know, I've said this many times. If you, can have, if you have an enemy who has convinced you, you don't, he doesn't exist or she doesn't exist, you're at a disadvantage. If I could convince you I didn't exist, I could walk right up and punch you in the face and you wouldn't even know who did it. Right, And so if the devil convinces us that he doesn't exist, and he's done a really good job of that because 70% of Americans don't believe he does, then he's going to have an upper hand in a lot of battles. And then the second thing is this half-truth. The devil will tell us a lot of stuff that sounds true, but it's really a lie. And a half-truth is a whole lie. And so I want to I focus in on this particular area where the devil will lie to us. It's in the area of this thing called guilt. Now, humanism says guilt's a bad thing. It's always a bad thing because it lowers our self-esteem. But here's the thing. When we feel sin, or when we sin, we feel guilty. When we sin, we feel guilty. You know why? Because we are. When we sin, we feel guilty because we are. God put that, that guilt in our lives so that we will do something. When we sin and we feel guilty, we are guilty so that we will repent. So if I'm walking this way and I sin, if I take that candy and I start walking away, I start to feel guilt because I actually am guilty. And therefore, 
I need to repent, put the candy down, turn back towards God, and go. Now, the devil will do something incredibly smart. Once we've been forgiven. Because if I have sinned, I did take the candy. Let's say I did, and I go out, and then I, then I confess it to God. I repent from it. I confess it to God, and I'm restored. Then what the devil will do, this is the half-truth. This is the deceit part. What the devil will do is say, you're not forgiven. I mean, think about it. I mean, that was a little thing. But what if I, what if I you know, hit somebody with my car on purpose and put them in the hospital? So God will forgive me from that. I still might have to go to jail, but God will forgive me for that. And then the devil's going to go, you know, the devil, God can't really forgive you for that because it's so bad. And so I have this sense of guilt over something that God already forgave me over. Did anybody here ever have a sense of guilt because, you, you know, you've been forgiven, but you feel like you're still guilty? So here's what I do. Every time I feel guilty, every time I feel guilty, I do this simple thing. I just ask myself one question. Am I? Am I guilty? If the answer is yes, I'm guilty. Okay, then I say, what am I guilty about? I did this sin. So I, I ask God, I, well, first of all, I say, God, I turn away from that. I repent from that. I come back to you. I ask you to restore me. He always does because God is willing to forgive us over and over and over and over again. As Pastor Brad talked about last week, you know, if, if God has forgiven us infinite amount of times, and he does, you know, we're called to forgive others. But that's last week's sermon. You can look it up online at newlifexn.org or the New Life app. But this week's message is, once we've been forgiven, it's over. And so when I feel guilty after I've already been forgiven, I know that's a sense of guilt and the devil's playing with me. And so what I say to him is, devil, I'm not falling for that today. Go play in the street. And I just move on. And I would encourage you to do the very same thing. So I would like to close this morning with this very important reminder. God redeemed us through the blood of Jesus Christ so we can live in victory. God redeemed us with the blood of Jesus Christ so we can live in victory. In fact, there's a verse. Everybody should know this verse. It's Romans 8.37, and it says this. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In all these things. And Paul had just gone through a laundry list of the kinds of temptations and tests and trials that we go through in our lives because we live in a fallen world. And he says, in all of these things, we are more than victors, more than conquerors. And I love the word there, the Greek word. You know I love words. The Greek word there is hooper nikomen. And you might not notice this word, but nikomen, nike, nike. Anybody wear a pair of shoes called Nike? Okay, nike means victory. Nike means victor. If you're wearing Nike shoes, I guess you're a winner. But anyway, nike, hooper means hyper. So we are hyper victors. Through what? Through Jesus. So when we face sin in our lives, the temptation to sin in our lives, we don't have to be a victim. We don't have to say, I'm going to do it. We don't have to hope that there's a store clerk looking behind us so we won't do it, although that was helpful that day. What we do is we rely on the internal power of God, his glory, which comes into us through the power of the Holy Spirit, and we walk away victors over the sin in our lives. That's how it works. I'm not saying that I do it perfectly, and I know none of us do, but when we do succumb to sin, we'll feel guilty. That's a good thing. See, guilt isn't a bad thing when you really are guilty. It's a good thing because it leads you to repentance. Godly sorrow produces repentance, and there's, there's no death in that. But there's the other kind of sorrow, which is the devil's kind of sorrow, which does lead to death. And so here's tonight, today's commitment. I will rely on God to deliver me from evil and draw me to glorify him. So are you ready to do that? Are you ready 
to, in, in the power of the Holy Spirit, are you ready to rely on God to deliver you from evil this week and to turn, into, turn to his glory so that you'll be a victor? Is anybody? Last night, at least two people were. Today, nobody is. I was wondering if anybody, okay. Anybody willing to do that? All right, okay. Well then, let's go out there and win. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. I thank you uh, that some folks here are eager, and some are like at least willing to try, to let you be in charge this week so that we will glorify you and that we will overcome the, the temptations that we face. And actually, you will overcome the temptations that we face in us, and then we will get the result of that, which is a, a life lived in victory. God, I thank you that you created us to be hypernikomen, hyper-victors, and that even though we rejected that and, and chose a path of sin, that you redeemed us and that you give us this new life that's truly life. And we ask, God, that you will fill us with your spirit right now so that we can start to live the rest of this day in victory to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.